Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Today, we are talking about life after divorce, uh, the parenting journey that um, moms go through when possibly they're thinking about it, going through it afterwards. And I have Megan Gluckman here, and uh, she's a coach for moms after divorce. She's harnessed lessons from her own challenging divorce and parenting journey to help other women create lives they really love. She uh, lives on an island outside of Seattle with her two kids and loves growing potatoes, reading adventure stories with her kids, and very hot saunas during the winter. Uh, Please welcome Meg Buckman to the podcast. Hi, Hi, Heather. Thank you for having me. I just chuckle at my own intro there. Are you like on the island? Like that kind of? Oh, you know, you know the San Juans. No, I'm south of the San Juans. The next island south is Whidbey Island. So we're about 45 minutes north of Seattle. Oh, yeah. The Orca Islands are beautiful. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You have to take a ferry to get to every single one of those islands. There's a ferry that comes. Uh, to my island, but there's also a bridge off the top of the island. So we're kind of a little more connected to to the mainland or America, as I say. <laughs> That's great. It's almost kind of like uh, California, like Salsalito. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to get there by ferry. So yeah. The goal is to get there one day because I've not been that far north. Yeah. Any, well, I've been north, like on the East Coast, but not West Coast. And uh, Orca Island is on my on my to-do. Yeah, it's super cool. And I you're so close to Canada. Like there's some of those islands that are actually in Canada. So you can kind of like go back and forth. Yeah, as long as you bring a passport, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get the passport. Um, well, you've heard the show, so you know what I'm going to ask, which is what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Yes, I love this. Um, so I was thinking about it last night. I was like, oh, is it this one? Is it that one? And what I came to was my cookie memory, which is I have one recipe memorized and that is like my chocolate chip cookie memory recipe. And it's because when I was growing up, my mom would just hand us the box of Arm & Hammer uh, baking soda (laughs) and be like, make cookies. And it was always the recipe that was on the back of the box. And we just like, that's what we (laughs) It's on the back of a box of, of it's, baking soda? It's on the back. It's on every single box of Arm & Hammer baking soda. It's on the back of the box. And so that's just what we did. And I just remember making so many batches of cookies. And then my other favorite cookie memory is that my dad claimed that he loved eating burnt cookies. And he would always, when the cookies came out, like pick whichever ones were burnt and eat those first. And I always wondered, like, does he actually really like them? Or is this just his like loving way of supporting us in making cookies and like encouraging us and, and also kind of cleaning up the stuff that nobody else wants to eat. 
because then leave the burnt cookies and then the kids feel bad that they burnt them. And so at least I wonder. Yeah. Like to burn cookies. I don't know. He also would eat a lot of other weird stuff. Um, so maybe, maybe that was his taste. Who knows? <laughs> Is it other weird stuff that you guys would make? And in- no, like he would just make himself. <laughs> he would make himself these like egg sandwiches that had like onion, ketchup, jelly, like weird. Like he would just keep putting oh. all this weird stuff on them. So maybe he really did yes. like cookies. I don't know. Yeah. Can you ask him now? Is he still around? No, he passed oh, away a few bummer. years ago. Yeah. So uh, I I can <laughs> I can just wonder. It'll be a mystery forever. I guess. Yeah. That's I mean, it's a nice sentiment to think that maybe that he was doing it to be nice, but yeah. Also like good for you. There's always yeah. a friend out there for everyone, I suppose. Um I have a I had Swedish family in town this past couple of weeks and they some of them really like it and some don't yeah. all, I can't remember the name in uh Swedish, but it's fermented herring. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah, not, 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 not your thing. I would eat yeah. but like some of them love it. Love one it. of the older, like the, the mom of the matriarch of the family loves it. And when you said sauna, I thought of them cause they love mm-hmm. their sauna yeah. uh, summer in the winter. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So good. So good. So up here. Us. Yeah. No, 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 oh, no. I was just going to say up here, because we are, we have the Puget Sound, you know, the part of the Pacific Ocean that comes into us here. Um, we'll often like do a dip in the sound, which is really cold and then have the hot sauna, which is really the nice combo. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do. They go back and forth from the snow. Mm-hmm. It's good for the skin. You know, that's maybe how they keep so youthful. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so tell us a little bit more about you. So you live in the North, you're a mom. Yeah. 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 So I have two kids. Uh, they are eight and 12 right now. My eight-year-old is a boy. Um, he's, you know, a Minecraft fanatic. (laughs) My kids get into Minecraft too. My nine-year-old, he's like obsessed. Yes. It is amazing how obsessed they get and how, how much they're into it makes yeah. me busy. And it's like, what's the goal? Like, how can you tell where you are? Cause everything's yeah. pixelated. I can't understand yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. It. Yes. Yeah. He totally loves it. Um, I, I love, usually there's one afternoon a week where it's just him and I and his sisters off, uh, doing other things. Um, and so I'm always like, you know, can, buddy, can we go for a walk together? You know, I want to get outside, go for a walk. He's like, yes, if we can talk about Minecraft the whole time. And I was like, okay. And so then he'll, we'll start the walk and he'll be like, so what do you want to know? <laughs> and I'll be like, I, I, I don't know what I want to know about Minecraft. What do you, what do you think I should know today? And then he'll just start and he will literally talk about it for 45 minutes as we, wow. you know, walk through the woods or whatever. So he's a hoot. Yeah fun and then my 12 year old um a girl totally into horses so I can talk about Minecraft or I can talk about horses those are my two uh, subjects my eight-year-old daughter loves horses and it's an expensive hobby like we were riding for a while then COVID kind of put the kaput on it a little bit and hasn't asked since so Mm -hmm. it's 
I mean, I live in Texas, so you would think there's horses everywhere, but they're not accessible everywhere. Mm-hmm. Hot, and you mm-hmm. have to find someone that will teach children. Yeah. Um, but it's an expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sure is. Sure is. Um, that one, cause she owns horses and now breeds them. And so, you, you know, she taught her how to love of horses. I'm like, well, they yeah. Need- <laughs> I think there's a lot of kids that go through a phase of, I think there's something magical about it, right? Being with this big animal that is sweet, you know, and, and just kind of gives you a different connection than connecting to humans. Um, and I think a lot of kids go through a phase of it. And then some kids it just like sticks yeah, for a long time. So I think, I think I got one of those horse, horse girls here. Yeah. Um, but they are, they are both thriving. They're both doing really great. Um, and it's been five years since I got divorced. They were two and six, um, when I got divorced. And so I celebrate all the time that they're living their best lives. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Cause that's a big fear when you're trying to make that decision. Um, because mine are nine, eight, and six, and yeah. they were um, 2021. It was when I filed. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think they would just, uh, what is that, two years ago? So, mm-hmm. four, yeah, four, six, and seven. Yeah. Right. And so you think like, are they old enough to understand it? Maybe they're too young and this will be a good, you know, maybe they won't have many memories. Like you, you think about them a mm-hmm. lot to make that decision, um, which is what drove me, I think, to my decision because the environment just wasn't what I wanted them to know what uh, normal was. And so yeah. when it started leaking out more for them to view yeah. and see, I was like, yeah, this can't be because if they don't know anyone else's house, but our own, then they're going to just think that that's okay later. Yeah, absolutely. I hear, I hear that from so many moms that the decision to do, to get a divorce, to move forward with it is because they want to model something really different for their Mm -hmm. kids, right? Whether they want to model a different kind of relationship. It's interesting because I think when, when we get divorced, we don't necessarily no, like, oh, we're going to have a better relationship in the future, right? We don't know what any future relationship might look like to us. But but for so many moms, it's about modeling being a woman, being a mom that's happy, that's taking care of herself, that's in a safe place, that's, you know, making big decisions because she wants something bigger and better for herself and for her kids, right? And just showing, showing the kids that we can do hard things like, yeah, this wasn't in the plans. Nobody planned for this to happen, but it's happening and we can handle it because we want something else. Yeah, for sure. And, and my issue was their dad was using the guilt of you're breaking the family up, you know, everyone needs to be together. And when you have someone that's very well, like wordsmith and really mm-hmm. just very, very, um, charming and able to, yeah. to really win you over that way. Um, 
through cycle and just through like, you know, also fear and they play off of it to where it's like you second guess it and you're like, well, maybe I am ruining the family model. Yeah. Which now with everything that I've learned, it used to be where, you know, that now that now it's only one parent, you need one steady parent in the home to have a normal, you know, relationship or, or, or developmental for the kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the mother father situation is just for family modeling. It has actually Mm -hmm. no benefit when it comes to like, there's of course benefit if you're a happy family, but you know what I mean? Like you only need one steady, consistent parent to really help like for the kids sake. Exactly. Right. You need one solid, emotionally available parent who can manage their own emotions as well to allow those kids to develop their attachment, you know, to develop their full potential to develop and feel safe. You need one solid person. That's right. Yeah. And I think what you're bringing up too are some of these like, what would you call them? Um, Taboos or just the old way that we have talked about divorce for so long, right? Which is like, it's a failure. You're ruining their lives, right? These are things that we said and we kind of accept that they're the truth, right? Like, oh yes, this is always the case. When in fact, like science shows, research shows that it's not divorce that harms kids. It's the conflict that harms kids, right? So divorce, the actual process of, you know, moving into two homes, the actual process of seeing one parent less, you know, like going back and forth or, you know, not having the same parent with you all the time. The usually temporary change in like financial or economic status, that these things are not what harms the kids. What harms the kids is being in an environment where the parents have a lot of conflict and they don't feel totally safe. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily to the extreme that they will be harmed, but just that like, you, you know what it's like to get in a room with two people who are not happy with each other. And that tension, that energy that's in the air, I keep, <laughs> I move my hands a lot, even yeah. though we're on a podcast. Yeah. Cause that's, that's really the, what the key is. It's like, you can, if, if someone is feeling uncomfortable, like that's, you feel it. And yes. so I've learned so much since I've now been out of it and people that have been around me and my ex-husband before, and then now are actually now telling me when they didn't tell me then, yes. you know, I never really felt very comfortable. Like I just felt like, and it was mainly around uh, him. And they're like, we just did like his energy. It was always very uncomfortable. And here I am at the time when I was there, like trying to like placate it and make it look okay. But everyone feel like something was off. Like no one would ever say anything because it was like, maybe they were going to be wrong or you don't want to get in anyone else's business. But now- Mm -hmm getting some distance, they're just like, just, yeah, it wasn't great. It didn't really yeah. want to be alone with him. And I was like, this was like probably eight years ago. 
Yeah. And I was like, what? Wow. And you were at my house and you stayed with us and I feel terrible, yeah. which is not my fault, but that just being so tangible and just such a, it's such a, it's like, whoa. Yeah. And so if people who aren't always in your home, right? Friends just visiting feel that kind of tension. Imagine what it's like for our kids to, you know, walk into the kitchen and just wonder like, what's it going to be like? Right. Mm -hmm. And that, and we want their nervous system to be able to be relaxed at home, right? We want their nervous system to be calm because that's, what's allowing them to, to learn and to grow. And, you know, no kid is going to make it through childhood without some stressors. I mean, we, we need them. We need it to, to grow and develop properly. Sure. But in general, we want them to feel totally safe right. at home, right? And if their nervous system is just kind of like always on the lookout for tension and what could go wrong, that's not helping them. So, yeah. And they come home, like I dread the day before they leave my house. And I tread the day they come home. Like, I can't wait to see them, but like, I have to like be prepared. Cause they come back yeah. like wild. Like you would think they were raised in the woods, like yeah. <laughs> you know, just doing everything you're not supposed to saying things they know they're not supposed to say. Yeah. And I'm like, I very well know that you're not doing that there because their dad is a very strict and they don't step out of line really. And if they do, he corrects it pretty quickly. It's also like bigger voice, bigger presence. It's dad. So I very well know it's not happening, but when they come and they know it's not acceptable in my house, I'm like, what is happening? And they are just trying to just release all of the tension and all of the things that they are keeping inside of yeah. them for a, unfortunately a week in summer. And yeah. I'm like, you don't, you want to keep them safe because sometimes they're doing things that are just not safe. And you're like, yeah, why are you jumping off the coffee tape? Like, this is just yeah. not something we do, Yeah, but they know this, but they can't hear me. They can't even think because they're so their frontal lobe is so flipped. They're just not processing any information. Yeah. And you just kind of have to just let them be safe and just let them get it out. And then when they calm down, I have to find a time to be like, okay, we're, we're now back. We're at our, my, my house mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. you No, know, like, let's go back to the way things yeah. you are supposed to do that. I very well know you don't do that. Maybe you feel better. I go I mm -hmm. test outside or try to come up with an activity to get that out because mm -hmm. it's bananas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're nailing it, right? This is, this is an issue for all parents where the kids are going back and forth between two houses, that transition time is always challenging in some way, right? As they age and they get used to it, you know, over years, like, yeah, it, can, it might get smoother, but there might always be some tension. And what it reminds me of is um, when we had babies, right? There's often that like super fussy period at night, right? Before they like actually go to sleep. Right. You know, yeah. right. And they're like, what they're really doing during that time is like shaking off all the stimulation from the day. They've taken in so much information. They've, they've absorbed so much stuff. They've been so stimulated and they kind of like need to like get it out of their body a little bit. I'm like shaking a lot here, people. Um, <laughs> and 
And it's kind of what our kids do when they come back. They're they're not going to be quite settled. There there's some there's some unconscious, subconscious like confusion about like what's going on, right? This this whole transition time. And I love your idea of like get them outside, do something physical, right? Let, allow them to like really move their bodies and and move it through or just have the presence for ourselves that like okay, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to put a lot on our schedule. I'm not, I'm going to have really low expectations for the first day back. I like, I like to already know what I'm doing for dinner. Like I, I want to have it like all set. Like this is going to be the most low key time coming back in. And actually like, I will, I will take things off our calendar. Like I will, not agree to do things on that day when they come back because they just need more time to like settle in. And when, when I can give them that window where they don't have to be doing new stuff, they don't have to click into this role right away. Those transitions get smoother, right? Yeah. They make it easier. Yeah. I tried the last, um, the last time I picked them up, um, I brought them to McDonald's, which is just like, that's all they do is eat, eat junk over there. But it was like, they asked to go inside and I was like, oh, I just want to go home. It, Cause I get them mm -hmm. at 6 PM and I was like, I just want to go home. I just want to like, right. Long day anyway. And then they wanted to go in, they had to use the bathroom or something. And there was a play place in there. And I'm just like, oh, germs. And I'm not a big germaphobe. <laughs> like those places are just, oh. I was like, you know, and they're like, can we go play? I'm like, you know what? Go. And I was by myself and I was like, go. And they went, they did, they came and then they ate, they went back. And then when I needed them to leave, they, you know, pretty much listened. And then I went, we came home and we you know, got ready for bed and they were very quiet. And I was like, okay, this might be a good exercise to do when I pick them up on Fridays. It's not the greatest food, but it helped them gave them something to do. So they didn't have maybe the going from one home to another house. They got like a break in between and it's just too hot to be outside. So you can't mm -hmm. like park right now. Mm -hmm. it's oh my gosh. Yeah. That's gross. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think it was 109 in the car yesterday. I was like, oh my gosh. So, hot. so you can't be out there. And so I think I might try that, but, but testing and tweaking, um, reconnection things, but they don't yeah. want to be yelled at when they come home or like be told what to do and be like behave. So yeah. at least they can go and, you know, be, and they're in a yeah. safe space. They can't go very yeah. far. They can't run off. So I can't like, you know, lose yeah. Track. So. yeah, yeah. And I would say that as you get into the older kids too, like I have a, a very tweening tween right now, um, that our instinct can be like, oh, I want to ask them a lot of questions. I want to catch up on everything that they've been up to. I want to know, right? Yeah. And we just want to be like, so what were you doing? Well, you know, what did you, all of this kind of stuff. And sometimes that is not the right time for it either, right? And just allowing that what I might be craving right now, like I'm craving that connection with them, like recognizing that's my craving. That's not what they need right now. And we have time. Like we have time to answer those questions. We have time to hear about that kind of stuff. 
But right now I'm just giving them a landing pad. Like that's, it's that's so all they hard need. Not to ask the things because yeah, I've learned that very early on. So my oldest does not answer questions. Mm-hmm. He he's interrogated all the time and is asked a lot of questions. And after like, I learned that pretty early on that like, a, you're not supposed to, they say not to like, it'll come out on their own because they don't want to feel like they're tattletailing or they don't like to feel like they're under a microscope. So it'll come out in their play. It'll come out. If I take like time before bedtime, they'll say something. Um, but asking them questions, what was your week? Like how, like, what have you been up to? Like, did you do that? Like they will just, or my oldest will be like, ask them, like, I'm not answering mm-hmm. it. So he's now at least becoming now at least more vocal about not talking about it. Like I'm not answering any questions. So I learned early on not to ask. It'll come out eventually in a way. Then I'll have to say, listen, like I'm going to ask you a question because it's important that you answer it because this is a, um, something I'm going to need to know. Mm-hmm. I let him yeah. know it's something that he has to answer. If it's just a, like a, you know, willy nilly question, I get a couple of call, like I get FaceTimes with them um, while they're gone. Well, I'm supposed to, but I've also noticed when they do the FaceTimes, either with their dad or with me, they were like the best behaved kids. And then they go in and do the FaceTime with their dad. And it's like that uncontrolled, stimulated, they're wrestling, they can't sit still, not listening behavior. But then when they come off of the phone, the call, they're done and they do it with me too. So if I'm on the phone, just trying to put my eyes on them, make sure that they're alive, make sure that they're okay. Just, just, it's hard not to be able to talk to them every day, right. When they're gone, but they're just, and then it's, as soon as they get off of it, they're fine. So I don't know if it's just because it's just the anxiety of mom and dad hearing each other's voices possibly, or the mm-hmm. risk of someone seeing each other because we haven't seen each other in two years in person. So I think it's a lot of anxiety around that. Like my youngest, mm-hmm. like, can you please stay in the house when he comes and picks us up? Which I don't go out there. I don't mm-hmm. think that it's healthy for anyone, but he's now being vocal saying like, can you just open the door and let me go? I was like, yeah, because they now recognize what makes them anxious what maybe ticks the other one, like the other parent off and they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So I think that's beautiful that you're just, that you have so much awareness around what's going on for them and how, even, even when they're talking to you over FaceTime or on a call, that there's other stuff in the background going on for them. Because I think that then we have the choice to decide like, what, what is the best for them? in this situation is, you know, is, you know, like you're saying with the drop-off or the exchange, right? Is this actually best for them that I walk them out to the car or if I, you know, do this or what is actually best for them and, and being able to separate and hold, like, here's what I crave, right? Like I crave the daily check-in, right? I mean, I know for myself, like I would love a daily check-in for my kids it isn't beneficial to them. Like that's not what they need right now, given their age, given where we are in our co-parenting. Like your old doesn't like to FaceTime. Let's just, there there you go. Get it. They don't want to be on a screen. Yeah. Or talk to them on the phone and keeping in mind too, they were doing something. 
yeah, right? True. Like they have a full life going on over there. And then we interrupt it and we ask for this check-in and then mom or whomever, right? The parent is like, okay, this means so much that we do this check-in. But those kids are also thinking, I just had to stop doing what I was doing in order to do this, right? So, so balancing the value, I mean, both, both people, it's, you know, your, your desires are important. The, you know, the parent calling in the kid, but just balancing, am I doing this for me because it feels good? Am I doing it for the kid? Because that's what they need right now. And it's an evolving thing. I think that's one thing that when we're going into divorce or before divorce and we're thinking about what it's going to be like, um, that we often don't realize how evolving this co-parenting and this dynamic is going to be. We think, okay, we need to get it firmly set that this is how things work, right? But in fact, it's it's evolving. And, and we just, our kids are growing, they're changing. We're changing with what we need. We got to be able to just roll with it and keep, keep changing. Yeah. I think too, um, releasing the, like the control because you can't control the other person. You just can't you. And, and for safety purposes, I do as much as I can to prepare. All you can do is really prepare your kids and help them understand what's safe, what's not, what's good decisions versus poor decisions. Uh, because you're not going to be there to make sure that it's happening. You can also not tell the other parent what to do, (laughs) because if you have one that doesn't like that, then, um, it falls on deaf ears or they will deliberately do the opposite just to get back because maybe that's just the way that that dynamic works. So you have to just know you can't control it and hope that you um, taught your children to make good decisions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. be able to speak up and advocate. I've, I've taught my kids how to advocate for themselves, which is a big word for them because they're younger. But mm-hmm. right now their biggest thing is to make the parent happy. And yeah. they're so stressed about making that parent happy. And at my house, I can't do it there because that's just the way that it's unfortunately probably always going to be there uh, based off of just the way things are with their dad and how he's wired. For me, I'm I'm always trying to say, well, what will make you happy? What will make you happy will make me happy. So I want you to pick what you want. I don't want you to pick what you think I want you to pick. Mm. Because at the other household, it's very much just do whatever I'm supposed to because I don't want to make them mad Uh here. They don't want to make me mad, but they need to understand if they make a different choice, I'm not going to be mad if it makes them happy if it's a safe choice. So Mm. it's difficult to relinquish that control because like when I'm on these FaceTimes with my kids, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to break a leg. They're going to break an arm. Why are you swinging from the third bunk bed up? Like, is that a smart choice? Are we making smart decisions, but you can't be there. And you, the other parent doesn't want to come in because you know, all the things it's like, 
maybe we should just stop our phone call and you can go back to whatever you want to go do. Sometimes like my son's asked me yesterday or the other day, he's like, can I go to the bathroom? I'm like, well, yeah, well, it's our phone call. I said, that's fine. The kids, your brother can bring it in there in a minute. Like mm-hmm. if you're still busy, uh-huh. you, you know, I just wanted like, Hey, I just wanted to say, hi, are you okay? You good. I love you. I will see you soon. Is yeah. there anything that you need? I'm going to go grocery shopping before you guys come home, ask for that kind of stuff to prepare mm-hmm. them. And they go on their merry way. As long as I put my eyes on them, make sure that they're safe, they're clothed. And you know, yeah. that's all I really care about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think what you're talking about too, is such a big, uh, I guess we could call it development or a big adjustment just for us as moms right? To release that we don't have control mm-hmm. and to oh. accept it. And I think there's grieving in that, right? That it's really a grief process. We thought that we would always be around our kids. We never imagined that there would be days or weeks that they weren't within our sphere. And the reality is there are days and weeks when they are not, you know, we can't put our arms around them. And I think describing it as grief is possibly the most helpful way because it's something that we can really be sad about. Like we can, we can accept the reality of it and we can be sad. And it's, it's also grief can come in waves. So we can feel it for a while. It might be super intense, especially when we start, you know, a parenting plan where kids are going back and forth. And then over time, the grief just kind of, kind of levels out and we don't, we don't notice it quite as much, but recognizing that this is something that, that we're really sad about. Yeah. I think it's really healthy. I think too, when we get married, you don't go into it thinking you're going to get divorced. Right. Right. And I think that when we have children, we, as moms, or dads, I don't know, um, prepare for those grieving moments and points yeah. when yeah. they leave the nest, right? when they go to college, maybe when mm-hmm. they're starting to hang out with their friends more in high school, not mm-hmm. when they're little and they may have no memory of mom and dad being together because mm-hmm. they're so young or they have memories where I've noticed sometimes they'll bring some things up. And they've now joined two instances into one mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, you just let them kind of focus and, and, and do, and yeah, I, you take a step back and it's hard because you have pride too, because you're just like, if you feel wronged or if there's like, you know, if there's an inaccurate information going to your child from one yeah. party want to try and correct it, but then it's confusing for them because your mom and dad are supposed to be truth tellers, you know, safe spaces. But then if mm-hmm. one saying something mean or, or wrong about the other parent, which I have made a vow, I will never speak poorly of their father because they will all, it's not my responsibility for that relationship. That's his responsibility to have whatever relationship he wants to have with his kids. And it's my responsibility to have whatever relationship I want to have with mine and Mm -hmm. me being not nice about their dad 
however it makes me feel, I can maybe do it and vent to somebody else later. Right. Mm -hmm. But to them, that's not helpful for them. It's confusing for them. It it teaches them that they can't bring up dad because they don't want to hear me be scoffing or something. Mm -hmm. I know that they are dealing with that there where they don't talk about me because it's Mm -hmm. the pain point there. And it's sad because they can't feel like that, but they've learned to adapt. And I just, I know that they will find out their own way. They'll figure it out. People are creatures of habit, both, both of us. So we're going to continue to the patterns. They're going to learn it. And yeah for them and you it's hard because when oh, you see yeah. something that you don't agree with and you know is going to mm-hmm. Hurt them mm-hmm. damage them like if a parent doesn't show up to pick them up and just you gotta like not be angry mm-hmm. at the parent because you're just like my children are hurting and you know the possibility that maybe that an event might happen but there's totally. also that slight possibility that it, it doesn't, and you don't want to like tell them something that's going to happen. And then the opposite, cause then it's confusing. So you just have to sit and sit and wait. And then when it's like time, when like the time has passed and someone didn't come pick them up, you have to sit there and not be like placing blame. You can't yeah. take responsibility for it either. Cause it's not your fault as a mom. Like you can't say, I'm sorry. Okay. You can say you're sorry that you're, this is happening, but not yeah. like you didn't do it, but you also don't be like, well, you know, to be expected, you can't do that. No, no. They're hurting as little people. And the sad is like when those moments come or, you know, it's going to happen, there's nothing you can do. And as a mom, you right. just protect and, and shield, but having a step back and, and feeling icky inside is just like, it'll help them grow. It might teach them expectations the next time. And maybe they won't be as disappointed if it does. I mean, unfortunately it's happened multiple times. So yeah. my oldest is like, yeah, doesn't or- then I guess you're going to pick me up. Right. Mom. So knowing like I tell them no matter what, I will always be there to come get you. If for some reason something comes up and you we planned your dad coming to get you and then something comes up and he can't just know that I will always come and get you. Like you will not just be left a lot, like left. Alone. Right. Right. Having yeah. a safety conversation because then at least they've now know, like they're scared. They were left like what's happening. At least they know like, well, at least we know someone will come get us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's our biggest role, right? Is is to help them be with whatever happened and what their feelings are in that moment, right? So we can put aside, just like you said, like I can vent to my girlfriends about some pattern, some behavior of an ex, right? But when my kid is disappointed or they're frustrated or they're feeling really sad about something that happened with the other parent, my job is just to be there with them and help them feel it and process it And when I mean process, it is like, let's be really sad. Like this really sucks. I am so sorry that this happened to you. And I'm so sorry. You're so sad. And I know like sometimes when I'm really sad, I really like to cry, 
right? And, or I really, you know, when I'm angry and I want to hit a pillow or like whatever the feeling is in your body, like, let's just be with it. And like, yeah, and it sucks. Right. And when we give them the space to like feel that and to be there and to say whatever they want to say, it can move through their body. Right. And we, we are there showing them it's okay. Like you can handle this feeling. Like if this feeling happens again, it will happen again. Right. Like our life is 50% positive emotions, 50% negative emotions. Like we got both right? We will always have both. So I'm here to show you that you can be sad or disappointed or frustrated and you're going to be fine. And I can also, once that feeling has kind of moved through you, we can also talk about strategies. Like, do you want to talk to your dad about it? You know, is there something you want to ask for? Is there something that you want to do? Maybe there isn't. Maybe they say, no, I don't want to do anything about it. Okay. But maybe there is something that comes up. And respecting their choice. Like if you, like we dealt with this about a few weeks ago where Mm -hmm. I, you have to respect what the child wants, whether you agree with it or not, because they want to feel like they have a choice. Yeah. And in this instance, like my daughter, there was a, there was a situation where like the boys he took the boys and lost patience and didn't wait for her and left. She's eight. Didn't come back for her. Very confusing for her. You know, we tried to like, it was the first time. So it's like chaos. We were also dealing with a dog passing away at the same time. There's a lot of emotion. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we're just going to do whatever it is you want to do today because I know you're feeling sad. So let's try to, you know, we did like, ice cream for dinner. Fine. No problem. Cause it's not going to be an everyday deal, mm-hmm. but the next day when things have calmed down and her dad's like, when are you bringing her to my house? And I'm just in my head, like, I'm not, you left. Like you can offer to come to get her. Like, I don't want to force her to go. And in my mind, I said, you know, I'm going to ask her if she would like to go to her dad's. And if she tells me yes, then I will then make an effort and a suggestion to say, hey, you know, this is a good time if you'd like to come get her. Or if she really was gung-ho, I would maybe, maybe offer to take her there. But that's more of a boundary thing for me with my ex. Um, And she told me, no, no, mom, I want to be here this. And it was only going to be like a two-day stint. The boys came right back the next day. But it's like, if you want to, I can. And she's like, no girls weekend. I don't want to be there. I'm mad. I'm mad. He left me and I don't really want to see him. Um, are my brothers okay? And I said, yeah, I'm sure they're okay. Like they're having a boys weekend and it, you know, they're making the best of it. We'll ask them how they are tomorrow. And so because she told me, no, I, even though maybe I should have offered or, but even though I didn't really cause it, I was like, you know what? I respect it. I'm not going to force her to go. She's very adamant and she's eight. And I will respect it. And that's that. And we'll see how the next time goes around and if she wants to go. And she ended up going. And I said, you can talk to your dad or ask him if you'd like, or you don't have to. Um, But if they were to say, if she were to have said, yes, I would not have agreed with it. But if it's something that was really important to her, it's more of like, I got to swallow it because it's what she wants. And it is her time with her dad. And I don't want to feel like I'm taking that from her. 
So you have to really respect what they want. Yeah. There's a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a lot of communication because there's a lot, there's a lot more decisions than when we were just one family together, right? Like there's a lot more decisions on your plate. And as kids age, we, t- we you know, we take their opinions indifferently at different ages, right? So that's, that's always something to, to be ready to evolve with as well. Yeah. But lots more communication, talking through things a lot with our kids. Fluidity. Yeah. Fluidity. Yeah, fluidity. That's a great, I word. am a very structured, like my calendar is all color coded. Like this is the, da, 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 yeah. right. And when you have someone that might not be as reliable or their schedule changes quite a bit for work and you have to make the decision to either take like, yep, I'll take the kids. No problem. Cause I always will. Cause I'd rather them here, but also being okay with moving things around. Or for me, I've had to learn how to have a backup for a backup because it's so unpredictable that yeah. I have to make sure that if this were to happen, which is crazy, crazy. Cause I, you don't want to have to plan every move. And unfortunately my situation, I have to plan and like contingencies mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. hey, listen, like this is, I have something that I need to go to and I won't be around, but if this were to happen, are you free? And if you're yeah. not free or if something happens to you, I already have this person lined up. Like it's sad, but you have to think that way. It's very stressful, but you also have to remember, like I do it because I want my kids to feel like yeah. not a big deal no problem. We've got plans. We got it. And feel the bumpy. Yeah. And I will say being now five years out, right. A little bit, a little bit further from you, um, is that it's not stressful and it's not stressful to do those kind of things anymore because it's a very established pattern. It's just something I do. Right. And it has me creating the life that I want. Right. So I am doing all sorts of, you know, I take trips, I do different things for work, like all, all this different stuff. And I create the structure around me to be able to do all of that because that's the life that I really want. And the, our ex and their patterns, they're just going to keep on, like, they're going to keep on doing their patterns. Right. I mean, If, if they change, it's because they want to change, like they've made a decision to change. And so the sooner that we are like, okay, these are the patterns. I'm going to expect them. I'm going to predict. Yeah. I'm going to expect that behavior and I'm going to create my life given that it's kind of like me living in Seattle and knowing that November through June is rain. Like, so if I... (laughs) If I pretended, if I tried to like set up my life in such a way where, you know, I needed clear blue skies for any of those days, November through June, like I'm going to be screwing myself up and it would be so frustrating, right? It would be so frustrating. Yeah. I'd make it so hard versus like, oh, I know for instance, like my ex, right, doesn't tend to reply to emails, on the timeline that I would really like, right? Like not within 24 hours or 48 hours, like sometimes it's weeks. And so I set up my systems. I set up my life in a way, anticipating that, 
that is what's going to happen. So how do I create my life so that I get everything I want, even though that's the truth of, yes. of how he's going to behave, right? That's, that's when we really, <clears throat> we fully embrace creating our life the way that we want, even accepting this stuff, right? So it's like accepting the reality of how our ex behaves is not about condoning or like loving it, but it's just like, these are the facts and I'm going to keep them in mind as I create my dream life here. I think too, it's, and maybe it's because it's just so much sooner for me. It's more like when you're leaving a situation, you still were making excuses for whatever behaviors mm. you were tolerating yeah. in marriage and now you're out of it. And maybe for me, like leaving the situation I was in, it was like a very mental, had to be prepared in every way because I expected certain things to happen, which did, because you're with mm -hmm. this person, you, you know, how they're going to react a, a roundabout way. You would also like, this is going to be the worst case scenario. And then if we're pleasantly surprised and wonderful, but at least we're prepared for the worst hope for the best. And so knowing those things, it's like, I had to be super like, like the, do, mm -hmm. don't waver don't you, you, so if I was at any point like I may or may not like like this decision then I was like then I can't make it yet and you have to be okay with it I think for me and I'm sure it'll get better it's when they do something that just pokes that button or the thing that you just could not tolerate and nor is it acceptable for toleration is getting over the fact that they can still do it with no consequence that drives mm -hmm. me crazy. I know it'll probably get better, but it's like, you can say and still do and, and act the way you used to towards mm -hmm. me, even if you're getting around it in a way where it's like, you're still doing it and mm -hmm. I don't tolerate it, but letting it go instead of consequences is very difficult for me on how like yeah. there's no consequence for actions that are just not acceptable. But that's life at the same time. And so just getting past those things and just trying to see bigger picture, which is still hard. Like it just drives me crazy that there's no consequence. Yeah. yeah. But maybe that's... the consequence will be the kids will understand it later. And then maybe they'll just help make the decision or the yeah. situation will change on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest challenge, getting that emotional independence from our ex, from their behavior, right? So they are doing their thing. And us being able to have full emotional independence that no matter what they do, we get to decide how we're feeling. Yeah. It's, it's radical. It's radical. And like you're saying that button pushing, like when, when, when it's, we've had that for so long, it's, it takes time, right? It's, it's hard to like disconnect from it and still be like, all right, they're going to behave this way. That's fine. That's just how they behave. And I get to feel however I want to feel right now. And I'm probably not going to choose being pissed off because it's not helping me in my life. No, it also gets very expensive. <laughs> you get angry <laughs> and you need it and you engage in the lawyer. It's very expensive very quickly. Mm -hmm. And you learn it's like, is this worth $300 an hour? Like, is mm -hmm. it worth it? Or should I just go yeah. get them? 
pedicure and a massage yeah. <laughs> instead and yeah. go out. I think too, it's not wanting those things for me personally, if I was, if I was the, um, the target of all the things and you mm-hmm. remove me from the situation, what ends up becoming an e- a new target is your children and knowing behaviors and patterns you want to just, you knew how it feel felt for you. And now you're like, now I'm going to be exposing them more. And that was a very difficult decision for me because it's like, I won't be there to take the brunt of it, they're now going to have to either feel it, know it, hear it. Maybe he'll do it a different way because I'm not the target. There's going to now be things that they might do that might trigger him instead before it was just basically me, or I could control as much as I could, the triggers that could have happened before they happened with them. They're young, but having that fear of, I want to protect them from what I went through And there's no way of really knowing. And that's why it's like, you really have to prepare the kids. They're not stupid. They are very, they catch on very quickly, but you don't want to do it in a way where you're going to say, well, this could happen. You don't want to make it about you and you don't want to make it to where it's a, a warning because it might not, because we we can't control. Everyone's got their own ways. Just like when we see like when we talk about like our kids in situations at school, how we would deal with it, they might not deal with it that way. And we have to mm-hmm. let them know because that's going to be their way. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the same can happen. You don't have crystal ball, but you only can feed off of like your uh, experience, which is hard right. to have their own. Yeah, it is hard. Well, and I think this circles back beautifully to what you were talking about earlier about not speaking bad about their other parent because you want them to be able to come to you and talk to you about what's going on in the other house. I think that is the biggest, best reason to not criticize the other parent is because you want them to freely come back and just like debrief or rehash or bring up questions or like whatever about what's going on in the other house. My ex is in three days getting remarried. And my kids have been able to talk to me about the whole thing, right? They, they're telling me about the wedding and what their roles are and like, and I'm getting to support them and encourage them in this whole adventure and process for them, which if I was speaking poorly about their dad at any point, they would not feel comfortable talking to me about this. And our relationship is so much richer because I've created this safe space for them to be able to talk about anything that's going on in their lives, including everything that happens at the other house. Which is what you want because you want to have, you want to know what's going on with your kids without being like stalker. Um, And you, and you just won't know, like, there's no way to know unless they're, you know, they're bringing stuff up to you. Yeah. Because if it's happening there, they're, going to tell, I'm hoping one day they'll tell me, and then they can decide if they want to go there or not, because they're not going to learn. Like, I don't like that or whatever. And I think also what's what's, I don't know. I mean, I'm, this is just my experience. Like recently I like my six-year-old he's six, he's six. He just turned six. And, uh, he came, he he said something to me at the table and I said something they were talking about their dad coming back from a trip and um, 
but he was going to bring them back or whatever. And I was just like, oh, and I said, uh, yeah, it sounds, you know, and then my sick, I think I just was kind of poking, like, maybe he'll bring like me something back. Ha ha. Like, just because we were being light about it. And he turned to me and he's like, dad hates you. I was like, I know this. I know this. You should not know this. Like I'm fully aware of my, of your dad's feelings towards me. I'm yeah. not, he's not shy about telling me, Yeah. but in my mind, I was like reeling. Like, how would you, like, why would you know that? Yeah. Why would you be hearing these things? And it just is like, so sad. I was like, I'm so sad for my son that he has heard these things. He has this now idea that that's what his dad thinks. So when they go over there, they just, we don't talk about mom because we don't want to hear bad things about mom because safe space. Mm-hmm. And I was so sad for him because I'm like, you're six. You should not know that your dad does not like me. Like we know this and he knows this because they know like, don't be in the same space. We're not in the same space because bad things could happen. And they've learned that we've, it's kind of unspoken. But when he was like, like just matter of fact, and I was like, yeah. I was like, I, no one trained me for this type of situation. Yeah. Like, but, what do you, yeah. Sister, like their brother and sister are just sitting there like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, you're, I understand. Like, I was just trying to like dig deep in my, my counseling and my parenting coach is like, mm-hmm. what, would she say? what would she say? Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> like, don't do what you want to do. And it's like, sentiment is the same, but I don't, cause it's like, they don't yeah. want to do that. And I just kind of laugh like, oh, you know, it's, I said, oh, what did I say? I can't remember. I was so shocked. I was like, oh honey, like I'm kidding. Like, yes, we yeah. know yeah. Mom and dad, we, we're not married anymore. We, we don't get along very well. Like we don't but, get each other gifts. <laughs> like I was kidding. Like yeah. And yeah. I just said, you know, like, I hope he shares what, you know, like maybe what you get, maybe you could share it with me. You know, I want yeah. to see something from yeah. something, yeah. Trying to like yeah. move to something lighter, but I was like, I know I, I don't, or mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to say, tell me something I don't know, but I didn't want to say that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I hear in that story is I hear a celebration, which is they felt safe enough to say that to you. And so I know that initial reaction that you had was like, oh, why are you, you know, why why do you know this or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, you know how smart your kids are. Um, But what I hear is, dang, you're doing it you have created that safe space for them to be able to say this thing that feels really weird to them, right? They love you. They're like, why, you know, this is wrong that dad hates you or feels so negative, right? Like, but they feel safe enough right there at the table to say it to you. I'm like, check it. You, you earned a badge. I feel like divorced moms need like a lot of badges, you know, like that's a badge right there. My kids can say anything to me. Yeah. Boom. And my six-year-old is very blunt anyway. Like when my, the dog had passed away, I think he just said to the, the man I'm dating, he's like, Boomer's dead. <laughs> Matter of fact, like, and, and <laughs> later on, we have the conversation later and he's like, so Zach told me, and I was like, well, he is. 
maybe that's just his way of like processing it very, cause it's very final, but he's like, but it could be like sociopathic. Like, should I be worried? He has no emotion behind it. I go, no, think about when you hear bad news. And like, he had just lost his sister. Uh, my boyfriend just lost his sister. And when he talks about it, it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. Can't change it. It's fact. I said, well, so is that, I mean, that's matter of fact for you. He's like, yeah, yeah. I guess he's just being matter of fact. It's like, you can't change it. So he's just speaking his truth, man. Um, like, <laughs> so it's just learning the personalities of your children too, learning what, what you will get from one and not the other. And, you know, so. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. It's liberating. I feel, and it's very important to find support. I think yeah. it's very important to know that you're not expected to do it by yourself and that people are very quick to give, um, advice, especially happily married, but mm -hmm. let's give advice. You'll never know until you know. Yeah. And I think it's important to share because that can help when I've now opened up more about my situation, I've heard behind the scenes or after I get off podcast interviews are like, this is my situation. Or I have a friend that's doing the same thing. It's actually yeah. quite common and it's so taboo and you keep it very, because everyone wants mm -hmm. to see shiny people. They don't want to see yes. the ugly stuff. Yeah. Which is like, what if we just finally fully accepted that half of marriages are going to end in divorce. And it's just this normal thing that actually happens. And so we make it less taboo. Like, let's talk about it. Let's get the support. Like you're saying, like, if, if, if we thought about women going through pregnancy and not having any support, right? Like, well, it's this thing that happens. Like, you know, half of women are going to have kids or whatever. Like, oh, you just figure it out on your own. It's like, no, like this is a major transition in our life. This is, this is a rite of passage. This is, you know, us becoming the next version of ourselves and we get support through this process. That's important. Co-parenting is very huge. New. You don't know, mm -hmm. you don't get, have kids and then just think you're going to have them. Like that was a big thing for me is I, I didn't have three kids raised by myself. Yeah. I didn't have three kids to have either another man mm -hmm. also be in their mix. And I don't want another female being a motherly figure to them because I'm their mom, but it's not a bad thing. It's just in your mind, you're like, I don't want anyone to have anything to do with it because that's, that was what we were supposed to do. Yeah. I think too, it's when you get divorced, I feel like you now know what you won't tolerate. Mm. And you can find and pick through partners quicker. Cause I, someone had said like, when people get divorced, they, they get married really quickly or they get, they get relationships faster. I say, I don't think it's faster. I just think that they know what they want and what they don't. And it's very easy to just say, yeah, not dealing with that. Like I dealt with that and I've made it like, that's like, like, that's one of my non-negotiables. Um, not everyone, I think make some people make the same mm -hmm. mistakes multiple times, mm -hmm. but I think we learn what we don't want and can recognize that a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We could do like a whole nother episode on dating after divorce. I love talking about dating. Man, after let's divorce. Do that. Ooh, <laughs> that. This it's is so fun. I love dating. Um, you love dating. You like dating. Oh my gosh. So much fun. So oh much fun. my God. I was, uh, 
terrified. I was like, this is awful. I haven't dated in 15 years. This is terrible. Isn't that funny? I mean, what else in our life do we do? Like we do when we're in our twenties and then we don't do it for 20 years and then we do it again. Like there's nothing else in our life that we like do that big gap. It's hilarious. So many funny stories. Dating's different now. Like it's all online. No one meets at work or here or there anymore. So it's very different. And there's just a lot more than like when, you know, 20 years ago, but I just, I hated, hated the idea that I was going to have to try and date. I was like, oh my God, but we can come back and do another episode of that. Cause that's just, I would be very interested to hear why you have like, felt like it was fun because the person oh, yeah. I'm dating, yeah. same sentiment as me, like, uh, poor yeah, yeah, this is not fun because it's just, but I would love to connect. Okay. That. Okay. Yeah. Dating to me is like this wonderful buffet. I'm like all about it. Yeah. But I also think, um, I'll just say this, like being with online dating, when we're going out there, there's like a cream, like you think of like, you know, milk that sits and like, there's a cream layer at the top that rises. Like, that's what we're looking for as women after divorce. We are, we are looking for the cream of the crop, like the, that little layer of cream. And there's a whole lot of stuff beneath that, that we have to work through. But yeah. when we find the cream, it's, it's pretty dang awesome. So yeah. yeah. Separate right. topic. We're going to do part two one day guys. So yeah. yeah, but I will say that that is one of my most fun things to do with women when they come to me and they're in divorce or they're just outside of their divorce and they want help, you know, improving their co-parenting relationship, or they want help figuring out a career transition or whatever they need to like really light up their life after divorce. And then we get into dating, like when they're feeling really good about dating, it's so much fun. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. We could talk all day. Um, Suzanne Kohlberg, who was a past guest listener. So go listen to her. She's hilarious. She's Australian. She's just fantastic connected us. And so I'm very grateful if you're listening. Um, and so where can, uh, listeners find you and find more of you? And is there things that you offer people that are listening and need more guidance? I mean, I think resources are just number one, number one. Yeah. Um, so my website is just my name, meggluckman.com. And on there you can find, I have a free fearless co-parenting class that you can just download and take. And if you're struggling with co-parenting, that's where I would start. It's, it's got so many good resources in it. And then I also have my own podcast, which is called welcome to the other side. I imagine like going through the river of divorce and getting to the other bank. Like that's what it's all about. Um, and so I have lots and lots of episodes on there about tips and tricks for getting through divorce and post-divorce and co-parenting and all that jazz. So all, all of that good stuff. And then I love, I hang out on Instagram. So come see me there, Meg Gluckman. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. Um, it's very, you know, when someone's going through a divorce and no one else around you is, yes, that's like what's happening in my life and the aftermath. It's just the center of what's happening topics, whatever. So people will sometimes just be like, that's all we're going to hear about because Mm -hmm. you're asking me, how's it going? Or they ask, 
even though yeah. they don't think they are, but then they hear like, oh, that's all we talk about. I said, well, that's what's happening. Like that's consumed my life at the moment. Yeah. But to be able to speak about it with someone that's gone through it and not feel like you're down, like Debbie Downer or, you know, bringing mm-hmm. it complaining because we're not complaining yeah. we're just sharing <clears throat> experiences not everyone's like my my sister just had her third baby my parents are now retired and then now I'm here with three kids navigating this very complicated situation it's all very different dynamics where it's very calm very like we've got nothing else to do and then I'm like all which ways there's the arms so I think it's very important to have conversations and not feel like it's a, a taboo. Like it's a yeah. good thing for you to talk process, talk to someone that actually knows too. So you don't feel like you're bringing it down. So mm-hmm. um, just knowing where to hang out. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have those conversations. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for being here and uh, listeners, please go and check out all the links in the notes. Um, it's all in the show notes, go check out Meg's podcast and all of her, her resources. Um, I will be listening to some of your podcast episodes and right. we're have Meg back talking about dating. Cause that will be just fun. That'd right? be awesome. So we'll do a part two. So we'll let you guys know when that happens. And thank you again for listening to another episode of the chaos and cookies podcast. Thank you for listening to the chaos and cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with follow the crumbs, to the Facebook group, or visit the chaos and cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.